0: Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Happy Mother's Day, and if you are not a mom, you have one, or have, have uh, been birthed by one. You have a mother, and maybe your mother's not in this world anymore and with Jesus, but you have experienced a mother and a mother's love. Maybe it was someone that had the privilege of uh, enjoying raising you that didn't give birth to you, but just loved you as a mother. And uh, so we do celebrate Mother's Day. I have some quotes here. When my kids became wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. That's Irma Bombeck. If your kids are giving you a headache, follow the directions on the aspirin bottle, especially the part that says keep away from children. <laughs> silence is golden unless you have kids, then silence is just suspicious. You know you're a mom when you understand why Mama's bear, Mama Bear's porridge was cold. Raising kids is a little walk in the park, Jurassic Park. <laughs> So, yes, a few quotes. There's tons out there. I mean, if you just want to look up mom quotes, there's a lot of mom quotes out there. My favorite thing I have ever, ever, ever done in my life was getting to be the mom of Jeremy and Casey and... Uh, Zachary and Chad and then to become the mother-in-law of Jenna and Caleb and Elizabeth and Brianna and then to become the grandmother of Christopher, Emma, Logan, Jackson, Charlotte, Shane, Penelope, Jake and Ellis. My favorite things that I do in my life but also to be the mother of many of you I have had the privilege of getting to be your mama and YWAP and some of y'all are still my YWAP children to this day. And some of you are my YWAP adult children now, who I just absolutely adore. I used to ask God for more children, and I used to beg him to take away the desire to have more children if he wasn't going to let me have more children. And so years just kept going, and I was getting old. And so I finally asked God, why have you not taken this away? You've given me no more children and you haven't taken this desire. I mean, I would have a baby just like that still. And God quickly said, I've given you hundreds. How many do you need? You, so many of you, are my children. And I hold you in my heart as my children. And I have considered it one of my greatest privileges to be a part of so many of your lives and that y'all, get, y'all just stay in my heart. I see your faces and I love you very much. So when you think about that, I still am learning from the best mama in the world. My sweet mama is 85, and I have always aspired to be like my mama. And the greatest compliment you could ever give me is to say, "Honey, it's just like your mom, because my mom is awesome. I also have been taught by two wonderful mother-in-laws how to be a mother-in-law. My first mother-in-law went to be with Jesus at 91... uh, about a year and a half ago, and Brian's mom is still loving me sweetly and teaching me how to be a mother-in-law. I also learned from my daughter and my daughter-in-laws as I watched them parent their children. What a privilege it is to be learning and watching how to do this life as a mother, a grandmother, a mother-in-law. I know you have heard of the Proverbs 31 lady, and she's always been such a challenge in my life. I don't know if you as a woman find the Proverbs 31 lady a little difficult. It doesn't matter whether you're a mother or not, it's just she's the Proverbs 31 lady. And it's kind of like with foreboding that you say, the Proverbs 31 lady is here, you know? And so you're saying, this is who we're supposed to be. Let me read it to you quickly. All of you, listen to this. This is our challenge as women. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will bring him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it with her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong and a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning threads, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor, opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well-known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell at the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear at the future. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instruction with kindness she carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness her children stand and bless her her husband praises her there are many virtuous and capable women in the world but you surpass them all charm is deceitful and beauty does not last but a woman who fears the lord will be greatly praised reward her for all she has done Let her deeds publicly declare her praise." Good challenge. So I always thought, had this picture. Someday, my children and husband would rise up and bless me. And they would say, there is nobody like you. Well, that came to a crashing halt many times. But one particular time, I was a swim coach in Rundu, and I my children were on the swim team, and we brought that whole swim team down to Ventuk to swim a swim gala uh, in Ventuk. And I also am a swimmer, was a swimmer, and so I was training with the kids too, and I decided I would enter, enter the swim gala in the master's level, and was gonna do the 200 freestyle. And so um, at 38 years of age, and I knew that the masters would be the 18-year-olds, but I thought, oh, what difference does it make? this would be fun. And <clears throat> so we get there, all the kids on my swim team are having a great day and enjoying it, and we have our little area set up out on the grass. <clears throat> and then I think I hear them calling the 200 Freestyle Masters. And so I jump, I went, hey, that's me. So I'm grabbing my cap, and goggles, and my daughter, Casey, goes, no, 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 Mom, they didn't say that. I go, yeah, they did, they did. And I'm putting my cap on, and I'm running to the starting blocks. Well, the guy that's announcing, he says, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Rundu. And he goes, this is the first time we've ever had a master swimmer from Rundu. Let's give her a hand. Well, everybody claps for me. This was incredible. So I get up on the starting block, and they start, they shoot the gun, off we go, and I swim, 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 breathe, swim, 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 breathe, going, mm, something's a little odd. I'm ahead. I don't know why I'm ahead. I should not be ahead because these were great swimmers, and they were much younger. So I swim, 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 and look kind of like this, they're all doing butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> so I stop, let them all butterfly past me, I duck under ropes crawl out and the guy goes not your race no so i start walking back to our our area and my children all have towels over their heads and they start going go away mom go away yeah I wish that was the only time that they were not rising up and calling me blessed, but there were many more times like that, that I embarrassed my children and didn't do things quite the way it should have been, been done. So when you look at this, have you ever found yourself, women, as not being enough for a situation? Men, have you ever found yourself not being enough for a situation? Today... I'm a woman on Mother's Day, and I'm going to talk to you about four women that didn't have enough, but men don't tune me out because this is in the Bible, and these are stories that can apply to all of us. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are our enough, and Lord, I thank you that that you show us in your word through these four women how we can empty ourselves out how we can be empty vessels for you and that we can let you fill us up and be enough through us. Lord, we just pray that these words will be yours and that we listen and hear you as to do. These things I pray in your precious name, Jesus, amen. So I wanna tell you about four women and four empty pots, four empty jars or vessels. This pot up here, Sybilla brought for me, <clears throat> that lives at Wanda's house. Thank you, Wanda. Uh, that we could have just as a a visual of empty pots that, that we have. Our first woman that we're going to look at is in 1 Kings 17, uh, starting with verse 1. And it's the story of Elijah, one of the prophets. And the evil King Ahab was ruling at that time, and he was very evil and Elijah announced that there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until he says so, until he gives the word. And then God sent Elijah and told him to go to the Careth brook. He said, drink from the brook and eat from the ravens that are going to deliver food. I always think that's an interesting story. Uh, don't just pass over that. I mean, like buzzards. Did y'all say buzzards here? the birds that eat the dead stuff and everything, were going to bring him food, dead things. They were going to kill things and come and just drop it for Elijah to eat. And hopefully it was, you know, hadn't been dead too long. But uh, this is what he was doing, drinking from the brook and eating this food that God was going to be sending the birds to give to him. I think, but so awesome. That's kind of my thing. You know, isn't that awesome? This is kind of blucky, but it's awesome. So Elijah did as God told him, and he went to the Kareth brook. And then ravens did exactly that, and they brought that to him, bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because, remember, there's a drought going on. So the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went there to Zarephath. And he arrived at the gates, and he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please bring me a little cup of water? Now, you think about that. I bet water was like gold. You think about us, who've just come out of a drought. Water was very, very precious to us. I don't know if you were like me. I would you know, take my water out of my sink that I had done and go pour it over my plants and those kind of things. Y'all were probably doing the same, moving water here to there because it was so precious. So first he asked for a little cup of water. And then as she was going to get it, he says, and bring me a bite of bread too. Whoa. Can you imagine that? A drought. Give me the water. Nothing's growing. And a little bite of bread. And so she says, I swear by the Lord, I don't have a single piece of bread in my house, and I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just going to gather a few sticks for our last meal. I was going to cook the very last of this, and then my son and I are going to die. When you think about that, think about what she's saying here. She had a handful of flour, the bottom of the, the oil jar, a little bit of oil left in there. And she says, I'm going to cook the very last meal of my life. And we're going to eat it, and then we're going to starve to death. I wonder if that's what she'd been seeing happen with people. Were they starving to death? Were people doing exactly that? Because she was expecting that this was going to happen. I imagine people would say, what's your plans today? I'm going to go get some sticks and cook our last meal, and we're going to die. What a strange thing. What a strange time. She had nothing at this time. And Elijah tells her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think she was probably terrified of where she was. I have children. I would be terrified doing that with my children. And he says, go ahead and do exactly what you said you were going to do. But first, make a little bread for me. And then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Perhaps you miss, she says, that I just told you I just have enough for my son and me. And then we're dying. I can't share this last meal with you. This is all I have. All. Nothing more. And Elijah says, don't fear, don't be afraid, for this is what the Lord says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops go again. What would you have said to Elijah? Does that make sense to you? It wouldn't have made sense to me. What would you have said? Has God ever asked you to give more than you actually have? Has he ever asked you to give your last of something away? Has he asked to give money you don't have, food you don't have? For us, very often, it's time we don't have. Has God ever asked you to give your life for him? There was a time in my life that I lived in a a little country town. We chose, my first husband and I chose to go there until we chose to move into poverty and to pastor a little country church with our two older children for five years. And God really impressed on us because we were so, 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 so poor. I cannot express to you how poor we were. And we would eat the last of the food in the house. And we would sit down and thank God for the last food and tell him we were going to trust him for the next meal for our family. And during that time, God told us in Proverbs 19, 17, says, be kind to the poor is like lending to the Lord. He will will reward you for what you have done. And we decided to challenge God there and to always be willing to give our last away. And so every time someone needed something, we would look and see if we had any food and we would share everything we had with other people. And I learned such a beautiful principle we never were lacking. I didn't ever have anything I wanted but I had everything I needed. Farmers would come and say we've grown black-eyed peas to put that um, fertilizer into the ground. Before we turn it into the ground don't you want to come and pick the black-eyed peas? I say yes! I'd go with my big sacks and walk in these big fields that were planted with black-eyed peas, and I'd pick black-eyed peas in big bags, and I'd take them to the ballpark to watch my son play baseball that evening, and all the town would help me shell the black-eyed peas. They'd sit around and shell peas with me, and I was able to freeze peas. This went on with everything. They would bring me fruit from their trees with sugar so I could make jam. They would bring me vegetables in jars so I could can vegetables. They would bring me everything that I needed as a a mother and a wife of a family, and they provided. And always, I could reach up and grab a jar of something, when someone would come by my house, a stranger so often would say, I'm hungry, do you have anything to eat? And I would share what had been given. And it was so amazing that God just kept providing. He provided when my daughter had chickenpox pneumonia, everything went inside. When we, we started thinking, how will we ever pay this hospital bill? When we checked out and went to see what it was going to cost, they said it had all been paid. We don't know who paid that bill. They said a bunch of people paid the bill. They kept doing this town. As we gave out, the town kept giving back to us until that last gift of them actually paying for my first husband's funeral and buying his burial plot when we buried him there in that town. God taught me so much in those five years that if I'd open my hands, he would pour it through here I would just let it keep going. But if I ever closed anything, that this would be stopping. And so Elijah did just what he said. Um, so she did exactly what Elijah said for her to do. And it says here, There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. What if she had insisted that this was all she had, And she couldn't do what Elijah had asked her to do. What if she had said, that's just not logical. I don't see how you can do that. I don't see how you're going to provide for that. Do you see what would have happened? She really would have eaten her last meal. It really would have been her last supper. What if we miss something God has planned to bless us with? Because we cling to what makes sense in our minds. What if we hold on to the logical things, and we miss what God wants to bless us with. That's illogical. What if we cling to this is all I have and don't ask God to be more than our all we have? The second empty pot jar lady we got here is in Second Kings 4, and we change prophets to Elisha. Uh, there's a certain woman, and she was... Uh, one of the wives of the sons of the prophets that had been worked with Elisha. And she came to him and she said, my, my husband is dead and now uh, the creditors have come to take my children, to take them as their slaves. Now this is a bad situation. So it was bad before with Elijah and the the woman that her son and she were gonna die and now this is another bad situation. They're gonna take her children away as slaves. So Elijah asked her, what can I do to help you? Now, this is an important question. I think God must ask us that a lot of times. And if we, we go to God and we ask him for things, and I think he probably says, what do you want here? What exactly do you want? And I think I, if very often if I ask God for something, if I could think through the answer to that question, I might would change the answer. What do I want? What am I really asking for? God, do I really want you to work your will in this situation? Or do I want you to work my will in this situation? Do I really want to ask like Jesus prayed, your will to be done, not mine? Or would I say, let me give you some advice, God, and this is how I want it to be done. We come to God, and God very often I think would say, what exactly do you want? Just like Elijah. And so God, uh, so Elijah is saying to the widow, "Uh, tell me what you're wanting and tell me if you really want to listen and do as to do what I'm asking you to do. So then he gives her a plan and he says, what do you have in your house? And she tells him that all she has, again, the word all, all that she has in her house is a jar of oil and Elisha says borrow as many jars as you can from your friends and neighbors then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you pour olive oil from your flask into the jars setting each one aside when it's filled don't get a few go get all you can find from your neighbors I want you to go knock on every neighbor's door and ask them to give you all their empty containers crazy Really, what are you gonna do with these? I don't know. Just give me as many as you got. I have nothing, but give me as many containers as you have. That's a strange request, isn't it? Go be needy and odd to all your neighbors. Go ask them for this. Then go into your house with your son, shut the door, and this is even crazier. Start pouring the oil you have into all the pots. I mean, our logic says this is all I have, and it doesn't matter where I pour it, it's still all I have, right? That's our logic here. Whoa, 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 she says to Elijah. Are you sure this is going to make sense? A jar of oil is a jar of oil, no matter how many pots I pour it into. This plan does not make sense. But this lady did exactly as he told her to do, And her sons kept bringing pots from all the neighbors, and she started filling them one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim, and she said, bring me another jar. And they said, there aren't any more jars. That's all there is. And then the Bible says the olive oil stopped flowing. There was no more empty. There was nothing left empty there. There. And she told the man of God what had happened. He said, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your son can live on what is left. Giving all of our empty to God. The miracle didn't start until she started pouring out. Until she started emptying that jar, the miracle had not begun. The oil quit flowing the second the empty was gone. All was completely filled. You know, when um, my first husband and I were called to be missionaries to Burkina Faso, we were called to go to a people group called the Bisas, and they had never had a Christian witness to come into their people group. It was an unwritten language group, and we were asked to pray about going, and we felt like God had called us to this group. And so we went to language school with our two children and had third child born there and spent that year in language school to study French, use French as the access language to study BISA. And as we began to study, we get there October 12th, one year. And October 23rd, the next year, my husband has passed away. And you sit there and you think, this does not make sense. He had led one young man, Abdullah, a beast of man, 19-year-old, to Jesus two weeks before he had gotten sick. He had sat with Abdule under a tree, sharing Jesus with him every time he'd come pick up Suleiman, who was playing with my children. And Abdullah finally said yes to Jesus. And then two weeks later, my first husband had passed away. You know, when I sit there and I, I tell this story, it doesn't make sense to most people. I've heard people's opinion of our story. But Abdullah now this many years later, 30-something years later, is a mighty man of God. He has married. He has children. He's a mighty pastor, leader of the Bisa of people, has done more than we could have ever done. God has used this young man for his glory, for his honor In the Bisa tribe. In our logic, that doesn't make sense to take a family of four from small town Texas, train them in a language, have another child, five, drop them in, share Jesus with one person who says yes, and then my husband dies and we're back in the States. Logically, that doesn't make sense. In our broken family of four, that left Burkina, is now a family of 19 that continues to be used by God daily. Does that make sense? How awesome that is. In our emptiness, all that emptiness, God just kept pouring out. What a miracle story that is for our family. I could tell you on and on and on the miracle stories. Our next empty pot lady is Mary, Jesus' mom, at the wedding feast in John 2. The wedding at Cana. You know this story, and it's the first miracle recorded that Jesus did. And they were at the wedding ce- uh, celebration, and Jesus' disciples were there. And it says the wine supply ran out, and so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. So the mom comes to finds Jesus, they have no more wine. And so Mary knew where to go to with, with emptiness, she went straight to Jesus. And Jesus says, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. I could just hear him. I could hear my sons doing this. Oh, Mom, come on. Not now. Not now. Mom, not now. Can you see Jesus? He said, My time hasn't come, Mom. Not now. And she says, this is her answer. This is such a mom thing. But his mom told the this, this service. Do whatever he tells you. And you know she looked at Jesus. You know it. She gave him that mama look. And so it says Jesus looked there, and there were six stone water jars used for ceremonial washing. And so Jesus told his servants to fill the jars up with water, And he says, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. And so they did that. And when the master of the ceremonies uh, tasted this, the water, it had now turned to wine, and he didn't know where it came from. And then it says, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But But you have kept the best to last. They filled six jars with Jesus. And Jesus made the water turn into the best wine they had ever taken. Jesus produced the wine, not while they still had wine, but when they had no wine. That was when the miracle occurred. Only when the jars had emptied did Jesus turn the water into wine. There had had been enough. If there had always been enough, they would have settled for the inferior, But they only got the best when it was all poured out. Only then could they receive the best. Then the fourth empty pot lady is the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman at the well. And the Bible tells us Jesus so purposely went to find her purposely looked for her as he went into the territory that Jews didn't go into, to the, into Samarita, Samaritan. And so he went in Samaria, finally get it out. And Jesus says he tire, was tired from the long walk and he sat at the well. And soon a woman came to draw water and he says to her, please give me drink. Now she came in the noontime and that was the hottest time of the day. And so we start surmising as we hear this story, something's not right here, that she would show up by herself at noon to draw water. And the woman was surprised that Jesus was talking to her, a Samaritan woman, and uh, he was a Jew. And she's asking that, why are you asking me for a drink? And he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she says, where would I get this living water? Basically, she's saying, I would love to have that water. Give it to me now. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then she says, please, sir, give me this water, and I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come to this water. I won't have to come get this water. I won't have to struggle with shame. I won't have to struggle with the physical problems to of coming by myself to do this water. Then he says, "Go get your husband." And she says, "I don't have a husband." And Jesus says, "You're speaking truth because you don't have you don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now." You know, when we read that story, You can think, you know, she just was just going from one man to another by her choice. But if you go back to those days where women had really zero rights, very likely she could have been a widow that many times and men just would come and marry her to take care of her. Or she couldn't have children, which would give them a right to divorce her because she couldn't have children. And that's a strong possibility since she's coming to the well by herself. There's no younger daughters to come with her and help her with that. But no matter what it was, she had been rejected over and over and over again. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah. And this is my favorite part of this story. It says she left her empty water jug at the well, and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I have ever done. She had tried to put her trust in men to take care of her needs, tried to put her trust in a society that shamed her, and she was a victim of this society. Her life was so empty that she would sneak in and sneak out from the well. And then Jesus came and said, I would like to fill your life with living water. And she left the emptiness behind because she had been filled by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You see this, this is all so easily broken. It's kind of wobbly, and I told Sabella, I don't want it to fall over. It's wobbly, and it can shatter in a second. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. God knows we are weak and very fragile. He knows who we are. He wants to fill us with his power, with his grace. He wants to shine through us with his glory. He would like for us to be representing him. But it takes an emptying of ourselves. We have to be empty of ourselves so he can fill us up. Making room for Jesus means that I'm going to pour out me so he can fill me back up. And We see this example of Jesus in Philippians 2, 5-7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made the likeness of men. We are called to have the same attitude as Jesus. And if you read that verse, he emptied himself, poured out himself for you and for me. We are to take on that same attitude, to be willing to be emptied of anything he's asking us to give. It's only when we empty ourselves that we get to experience God's power and glory that he's able to shine through us when we become all about him. There cannot be any filling unless we're completely empty. I mean, you think about that. You think about when you're pouring something in, usually you have emptied something out if you're wanting something else in when you're pouring this in. But when we become so desperate for God to control our lives, then we start saying, God, I want you. Then that is that emptying of ourselves. So keep... In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, So keep me from becoming, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You and I are at our God best when we know how weak we are. Our very best position to be used by God is when we know we are nothing without him. Are you aware of how weak you are, I am definitely aware that I'm not a Proverbs 31 lady. I am very aware of that. I sure would like to be. I'd like to be enough for my children, my husband, my grandchildren, my family, my friends. Mostly for Jesus, I would love to be enough. You and I will never be enough as long as we seek to fill our lives with anything But Jesus, never will you and I be enough unless Jesus is our enough. God made us to always experience feeling emptiness outside of him. He created us us that way. He designed us to be empty without him. Jesus wants to be our enough through his grace and his power that shines its best when we are completely emptied of ourselves. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for these four ladies that we get to to just look at, how they just trusted, just trusted the word from you. Lord, how they knew when they heard the illogical things, they were able to say, it's not logical, but I will trust you. Lord, I pray that any area that any of us are holding on to, Anything of ourselves that needs to be let go of, Lord, that you would spotlight that for us. Show us how we need to release these these parts of ourselves that, yeah, just take up space where you would like to be Lord and master of. Lord, help give us the ability to let these things go. And Lord, I ask that daily we come to you and ask for filling. Daily we ask that you be our all. Daily we empty ourselves of us and fill ourselves with you. These things we pray in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.